This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Well, I was about 20 years old, and uh, I had the opportunity to preach on Sunday night at my home church, and I had two sermons, and I, and I wasn't sure which one to preach. And I remember sitting on the back row that night with notes to two different sermons sitting in my lap, just praying, God, show me which sermon to preach. And I didn't know which one to preach. And, and I had a very clear sense that God was nudging me toward one of the sermons, And there was an illustration in one of those sermons that I didn't think that the congregation would understand. It was like a story about Marilyn Manson. And I just thought, they're not going to understand who Marilyn Manson is, you know? But the Lord was nudging my heart to preach that sermon. And because I thought better, I didn't obey, and I preached the other sermon. Some of you didn't know this morning that you could disobey the Lord while preaching a sermon. (laughs) It was a miserable experience. Because I knew from start to finish that I was disobeying the Lord. This morning, I'm titling the sermon, It's Our Time to Obey. It's our time to obey. Hopefully you found your way to Haggai, if not Go ahead and find your way to the book of Haggai. While you're turning to the book of Haggai, let me just kind of set the context of what's going on in the book of Haggai. God's people, Israel, had been invaded three times by Babylon. And on the third time, they, they destroyed the temple. And Jerusalem was, was burnt to the ground. Well, then the, the Pado-Mersian uh, empire takes over. The Medo-Persian Empire takes over, and and Darius, uh, rather Cyrus, takes over Jerusalem. And Cyrus has a heart kind toward Jerusalem, so he allowed Israel to leave Babylon and go back to Israel. So a portion, uh, probably about 50,000 Jews leave Babylon and go back a 900-mile journey to Israel. And, and when they go back, they, like, upon arrival, they immediately start rebuilding the temple. They lay a cornerstone to rebuild the temple. They had a great plan. They had a great intention. And then, like so many things that we set out to do for the Lord, they got distracted. They faced obstacles, and the work of rebuilding the temple stopped. Uh, well, King Darius ends up becoming king, and it was in Darius's day that God inspired Haggai to preach to God's people a series of sermons about rebuilding the temple. Now, in chapter 1, what we've already looked at is the Lord speaks through Haggai to his people, and he says, is it a time for you to give your attention to building your house while my house lies in ruins? And then he tells them, um, this, the reason that you've been trying to save money but you can't save money, 
and the reason you've been trying to harvest your crops, but you can't harvest your crops. And the reason that you're trying to get ahead, but you can't get ahead is because of my discipline on your, on your life. In, indeed, indeed, the Lord said, you're, you're, you're trying to take things and I'm blowing them away is what the Lord said. I, I blew it. I, I, I blew it away. In other words, the Lord was saying, you have to prioritize my purpose. You have to prioritize my glory. You have to prioritize my house. You have to prioritize my ministry. Now, if you're just jumping in with us at real life, I want to tell you a couple of quick things. We're in a process where um, we've got a, a vision to build a building over the next two years, and we're so fired up about it. But let me be really clear about how what, what was happening in Haggai's day is different than what we're doing and how it's similar to what we're doing. Um, we're not building the temple. What's wonderful is that uh, as God's story unfolds, we see that as the church was birthed and the Holy Spirit came to fill the hearts of all those that would trust in Jesus, we, God's people, became God's temple. So God's passion and his priority for the temple now rests on our life. God has a passion that you, that that he would be glorified in your life and in my life. In the same way that he had a passion that his his glory would be known through the ministry of the temple, we've now become the temple. And he wants his glory to be known in and through our lives. Indeed, in the temple is where sacrifices would be made for sin. So it's how God's people had a sense that their sins were forgiven. Well, now Jesus Christ has come, and he has become the, the perfect final sacrifice for sins. In, a, in other words, when we build the church building, we won't be making sacrifices for sins. We'll be worshiping the one who was once and for all sacrificed for our sins. And so as we see the temple in Haggai's day, what we see is the fulfillment of this temple, the perfect expression of this temple— was seen in Jesus Christ because Jesus bore our sins on the cross. He sacrificed his very, his very life. So, so what we're doing with the building is very, very different than building the temple. It's similar in this way. The temple was the place where God's people would gather for worship. The temple was the, the epicenter for the ministry of God's people to take place. And indeed, what we're going to do is we're going to build a building that will be a haven of hospitality. It'll be a hub of discipleship for generations to come. And it'll be the place that God's ministry takes, takes place. But, but this is really key. As, as we're building the building, don't miss this. As we're seeking to build a building of bricks and mortar and, and all of that, um, God is building his building and we're his building. The Bible actually says we are, we are God's building. He's, he's building his building. So as we're stretching our faith, as we're growing in generosity, as we're making sacrifices, God is molding us to be more like Jesus. We think that the, that the big deal is the building, but it's not the brick and mortar building. <laughs> it's the people of God building. And as we, as we aim to establish a permanence of ministry in Sango for generations to come, God is stretching us and he's growing us and he's requiring us to give us, to, to give him our attention. So that's just a little bit of a groundwork 
to, to pick up where we are in chapter 1 of Haggai, chapter 1. We're going to see it in verse 12, picking up in verse 12, and we'll just read through verse 15 together. So if you found your way to Haggai, just hold your Bible up. Let me know you're tracking. It's tough to find the book of Haggai without the table of contents. If you use the table of contents, I just consider you wise. All right? All right? All right. So here we go. You ready? Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. Let me just pause there. What was that word of the Lord? Well, the word of the Lord that came through Haggai the prophet was rebuild the temple. So they had a choice to obey the Lord or disobey the Lord. Just like we have a choice to obey the Lord or disobey the Lord with a myriad of things in our lives every day. Let's read on. What what was driving this? We see in the people feared the Lord. Verse 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message I am with you, declares the Lord. Verse 14, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, in the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, in the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray, speak to us, a fresh word, a personal word, a powerful word. Speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing that we see in this text is just simply this. God's people obeyed God. God's people obeyed God. Look at this with me in verses 12 again. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. In the words of Haggai, the prophet, and the Lord their God had sent, as the Lord their God had sent him. So right now in this series in the life of our church we're taking this concept of obedience and we're applying it specifically to the season that we're in as a church so my prayer has been that god has been speaking to you about how you would invest in the ministry here financially it's been our prayer and our hope that every real lifer would take a step to expand their giving but not because i've asked them to but rather because they sense that the Lord is asking them to. Now, we know in the Bible that the Lord has already called us to be generous and sacrificial people, has he not? The Lord has already told us everything belongs to him, and he's told us that we're stewards. So we don't own anything. We're just stewarding what God has entrusted to us, and he's already commanded us very clearly in his word to be generous, sacrificial people on the regular. That's what the New Testament teaches us, is to be generous and sacrificial consistently. And so here God's people in their day, God was telling them very specifically, hey, you have neglected what was really important, my glory, my ministry in the temple. Go and build the house. And they obeyed. They obeyed the Lord. I want you to notice just a couple of things about this. Um, You know, good intentions doesn't always translate into obedience. Have you ever felt that? (laughs) Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever had a really good plan to obey the Lord in something, but you just never took action? A good plan is useless unless you 
act upon it. Good intentions are useless unless you put it into motion. And sometimes we just kind of say, well, we'll get to it. You know, if we're married, sometimes we'll think, well, she'll get to it. (laughs) Or, well, he'll take care of it, right? They obeyed the Lord. They turned from selfish materialism and apathy. They turned from that to God-centered devotion. Now, notice this. When God was addressing his people, he started with the leaders first. Don't miss this. Look back at verse 1 in chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel. The word of the Lord came to one person first, who was Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. What does that mean? Well, he was the governor of Judah. So God went right to the top, and he says, if I'm going to do a work in my people, I'm going to start with you. But he didn't just, he didn't just speak to Zerubbabel. Look, look at it with me the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So God started with the leaders. So real life, I believe God wants to start with the leaders here. He wants to start with the staff of our church and the elders of our church. He wants to start with community group hosts and community group uh, facilitators. And he wants to start with ministry team leaders. And he wants to speak to us first. And he wants to say, you prioritize me. You prioritize my purposes. You put me first. So he started with the leaders. But that's not all. I want you to also notice that, he, that all the remnant obeyed. Look down with me in verse 12 again. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people. Now, what's a remnant? Well, the remnant was a portion of God's people who Whose, whose hearts were turned toward the purposes of God. And, and so the remnant were the people that left Babylon to come back to Israel to initially rebuild the temple. In other words, you had all these people in Babylon going, eh, we don't really care about the temple. But 50,000 of them go back and say, no, we do. We do. That was the remnant. And as you trace through the Old Testament, you see that God always had a remnant. Even in the worst of days, God would always hold up a remnant. God would always protect a remnant. And sometimes that remnant was small, a small group of people that had a heart for God's work. And this was the remnant. But notice this. Look at verse 12 with me again. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant. Do you see that? It wasn't a portion of the remnant. It wasn't some of the remnant. It wasn't most of the remnant. It wasn't just the old people in the remnant. And it wasn't just the wealthy people of the remnant. It was all of them. It, it, was, it was all of them. In, in other words, God was not satisfied with just taking, hey, just this portion of the remnant. He wanted all the remnant to engage in his work. And that's what we believe would honor the Lord here in the season that we're in. That's why one of our goals in our time is 100% participation. Now, I talked to several people this morning that today was their first day at real life or, or today was their second week at real life. We're, I'm so glad you're here. I don't want you to hear me speaking to you this morning about you giving to this work. I want you just to listen really closely about how God has been working in this church over the last four or five years and be amazed. Look around at this room and look at what God has done. Over 150 people have had their hearts touched 
have had their souls saved and have taken a step in baptism in, in almost like five years here. It's amazing what God is doing. And so if you're absolutely brand new, we just want to say welcome. Let the Lord minister to you through our generosity. And when it's the right time for you to say real life is my home, then you can lean in with us. If that's next week, great. If that's six months from now, great. But don't miss this. We've got a goal of 100% of our church leaning in and expanding their giving. And we didn't just come up with that idea, but we see this pattern in Scripture that all the remnant participated in rebuilding the temple. I want you to notice one other thing in verse, um, in verse 12. So we see then Zerubbabel, the leaders, Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God in the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And then look at this little phrase, and the people feared the Lord. The people feared the Lord. (laughs) What would possess anybody to give their money to the Lord? Well, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So sometimes love compels us. But in this particular situation, God's people were rolling up their sleeves and rebuilding the temple in part because they feared the Lord. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? Well, the Proverbs say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. One of my favorite illustrations to illustrate the fear of the Lord um, is this, this pastor said they were, they were in the backyard barbecuing with somebody, grilling out, and um, they forgot something in the car, so they sent one of their kids to the car to go get something. And the kid takes off running to the car, and the people whose house they were at had a Doberman Pinscher, and immediately the Doberman Pinscher went, Roar! and was right there on their heels. And the owner said, oh, I forgot. I forgot to tell you, don't run away from it. Just walk next to it. I thought, that's a good picture of the fear of the Lord. The the fear of the Lord is not a fear that makes us to not want to be close to God, right? It's it's, it's like, (laughs) I'm afraid of heights, you know what I mean? So, like, around the Grand Canyon, I don't want to get too close, you know? It's like, uh, we went on a ropes course once, and I squealed like a kid, and my kids thought it was hilarious, right? It's like, I'm afraid of it, so I don't want to get close to it. Well, that's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is, is I'm afraid of the Lord in a way that I don't want to get far from him. So why were they afraid of the Lord? Well, back in verse 9, back in verse 9, that's where the Lord said to Israel, you tried to amass, you tried to harvest, you tried to save, and I blew it away. I withheld the dew and I brought a drought. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, that um, every one of us walked through COVID. And it's like, Lord, what do you you have to do to wake us up and to get our attention? (laughs) Lord, what what do you have to do to get our hearts to fear you? Not in a, a fear like we don't want to be close to you, but a fear of like we don't want to get out of your will and we don't want to disobey you. Don't miss this, that in verse 12, Haggai is saying they obeyed the Lord. Well, what possessed them to obey the Lord? Sometimes it's love, but in this particular point, it was fear. It, 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 was, it was fear. Um, I, I, want you to, I want you to see a testimony of, of some real lifers that 
have sensed God speaking to them about this idea of giving. So just direct your attention to the screen. I was listening to uh, a friend of mine preach, and he said, to show me your bank statements and I'll show you where your heart is. I know when we first got married, we didn't, we just really didn't, you know, if there was like extra, we'd give or we'd give a little, like it really wasn't a certain percentage. So if we had our check ready by the time they passed the plate, we threw it in. If not, you know, we would catch it next time. And if there was a major bill coming up, we wouldn't give. It was, if we knew that we had to pay something, we'll just back up a little bit this month. I mean, it wasn't an income issue. I mean, we, we made plenty of income. Mm -hmm. It was just an a safety. It yeah. was almost like a safety. We're beyond blessed, and there was just something missing. Um, and I just kept feeling that nudge, like, okay, you, you've got all these ducks in a row, but there's still something missing. So on January 20th, I wrote, I'm feeling the nudge to tithe, but having a very hard time stepping out in faith. God, help me see that you will meet our needs when we are obedient to you. Right now, we are being disobedient and selfish. God, that hurts to write. Give me the courage and strength to talk to Justin about this. That was probably the first financial decision we ever made in our marriage, um, that it was 100% total agreement, no questions asked. There was no explaining, no justifying. It was, easy. It was just something we knew we, we had to do. Just did it. Just gave. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're so, we're, we were capitalizing on every opportunity we had to serve in our church, but we just weren't doing, you know, we, we weren't being obedient and giving. You know, I've made a public declaration that through baptism that, you know, my heart is in Christ now. So when you're willing to give, you know, your time and your energy and your efforts, like, why would you hold on to your money? You know, again, it's a gift from Him. Once we started giving, it hasn't been easy. God showed me this year that I'm making less money and we're able to tithe. I really, I, how these things add up, I don't know. But God has a greater plan. He's in control, so things are not necessities. You know, we don't need these things that we thought we needed. All of these things we're taking priority over my thought process as far as money. I know that God's gonna do something with that money far better than whatever we could have done with that for the month. I know he has a greater purpose for it than us. My hope for our time is it's not just about building a building. I feel like it's spiritual growth for everybody in our church and for people to see the the true importance of that. It is about money, but at the same time, it's about our hearts and where our hearts are and the direction that they're pointing. I can hear Freddie saying, the building ain't the building. <laughs> and for me, just seeing the angels of heaven arching over us and watching us build this church right in the heart of Sango, that to me is like a wake up call there's going to be a time where we can no longer serve, where we can no longer reach the loss, where we can no longer um, go out of our comfort zone to get to different people. Night is coming. You're not going to be here forever. So you have such a small time to give and to serve. You know, 
now it's your time. And, and the beautiful thing is, all you have to do is do it. It's powerful, right? Yeah, it's good. As we, as we consider obedience, um, you, you may be totally aligned with God's purposes of generosity and sacrificial living with your giving. Um, and it may be another area of obedience that the Spirit is speaking to you about today. It, it, may, be, it may be about your marriage. It may be about your thought life. It might be about what you're giving your, your time to. Um, there's all kinds of areas that the Lord could speak to us about in terms of obedience. But I'm so grateful for a story like um, Justin and Amanda's where they, they were just willing to say we weren't being obedient. But the Lord nudged us. And I'm so thankful that when the Lord nudged her, Justin didn't push back against that. And he said, no, let's do this. Let's, let's do this. I want you to see two more things from our text this morning, just, just real, real briefly. We see that God's people obeyed God. And each of us have an opportunity to obey God in the area of, of stewardship, as we think about our time, in, 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 a, in a whole myriad of other areas. But, but I want you to see in verse 13 that God promised his presence. And I want you to notice that this actually came after their obedience. Look at verse 13 with me. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. Now, why is this significant? Can I just like share a little confessional with you? Um, I used to uh, be, like I would, (laughs) many years ago, when people would ask that God would be with us, I just thought, can't you pray anything else than God would be with us? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, he's already promised to be with us, right? Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So it's like we're, like, it's like we're praying for what he's al- already promised. But they knew something that I didn't, right? Like, like God is with us. But what we see is that when we choose to walk in obedience, God is with us in a special way. That his hand is upon us. His power is upon our life. There's an awareness of God. Other people notice that God is with us. (laughs) I remember I came home from college and my youth pastor's wife, this is what she said. Nobody's ever said it to me before, but she said, I can tell that you've been with him. I was like, whoa, how can you tell that, you know? But when we walk in obedience, the hand of God is upon our life in a special way. And that prayer that God would be with us is an awesome prayer to pray. No, God, would you be with us? Would you be mightily with us? Would you be obviously with us? Would you be powerfully with us? Would you be undeniably present with us? And some of us this morning would say, well, I know Jesus said he would never leave me, but I don't feel his nearness at all. Some of us would say, I, I know because I know what the Bible teaches. I know God is with me, but it has been many, many, many days since I have experienced him with me. And my, my question to you this morning is, is, is that because there's been a, a gap in your obedience? It, it, in other words, it, we like to think that it's, it's God being with us us experiencing his powerful presence that propels us to obedience. Indeed, some of you may have been thinking about our time, and you're thinking, I'm, I'm not going to commit to give anything until God moves on my heart. Well, it could be that God's not going to move on your heart until you 
walk in obedience. What came first? Obedience came first. Then the promise of his presence. But that's not all. See this. God not only promised his presence, God stirred his people. Look at verse 14 and 15. This is so amazing. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. He stirred them up. He started with the leaders again. He stirred up Zerubbabel. He stirred up then the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the second and the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So here it is. They're at a crossroads. They have an opportunity to disobey God or they have an opportunity to obey God. And they choose to obey God. And when they choose to obey God, God says, I will be with you. Not just in the I'll never leave you kind of way. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to show up and I'm going to show myself to be strong with you. Can we just be honest? Like as we think about like expanding our giving, (laughs) don't you think about all the things that you could do with that money? All the things you want to do with that money? All the all the great things. And, and when you think about expanding your giving and you think about all the things you have to do without, let me just ask, like, what's more important, that God is with us or all those things that money can attain for us? Like, what do we want more? Do we want all the security that comes from our, our, our money or do we want the undeniable, powerful presence of God on our lives? We often overcomplicate it. And what we just see in this opening chapter of Haggai is that sometimes the powerful hand of God rests upon our lives simply because we've obeyed the Lord. So the promise of his presence comes and then he stirs up their hearts. Does your heart feel stirred up this morning? Does it feel cold and numb and uninterested in God and distant and hard? I mean, so often in our journey as a Christian, our hearts feel cold and unaffected and distant from the Lord and it's like they start singing and people start lifting their hands and they're just like I am not feeling that like can we just hurry up and get to the sermon so I've got something to think about because I'm not feeling anything what led to God's people experiencing God's presence in a powerful way what led to God stirring up their hearts obedience Obedience. Um, This is so exciting. (laughs) This is so exciting. Because when we choose to obey, God gives us an experience with himself that it's hard to put into words. The contentment, the joy, um, the experience of him stirring up our heart in a special way, it comes through obedience. Um, I want to invite my precious wife, Susan, and my friend, Mary, to come up and join me on stage. Church, um, when we launched our time, really before we even launched our time and began to talk about it with the church, like I knew what God was leading us to do by way, in, by way of asking everybody to expand their giving. And so I knew um, we need, like Susan and I, we need to, we need to start. We need to lead the way. So so many months ago, Susan and I, um, we looked at our budget, we twisted things around, I felt the pain of it, um, but we determined what our expanded giving would be. Um, and I just kind of had this sense, hey sweetie, how you doing? 
Hey, Mary. How you doing? Good. Love you. I'll take a good hug. Terrible. <laughs> You're not doing terrible. Um, I just had this sense of, um, man, I'm going to get I'm gonna get up and preach about this for five weeks. Yeah, can, we, can I just push the pause on the sermon and just like pastor just for a second here? Can I quit preaching? Just, some people are like, man, why are we talking about giving for five weeks? You want to know why? Here's, let me tell you one reason why. Here's one reason why. It's because the average attendance of someone that considers themselves a regular churchgoer today is 1.9 Sundays a month. <laughs> so some of you are like all stars and you like, I've been here every Sunday and I'm tired of you here. I'm tired of hearing you talk about it. Well, most people's average attendance is 1.9 Sundays a month. So if they're going to hear about it once or even twice, we got to talk about it for six weeks. All right. So somebody, come on, somebody encourage your preacher this morning. All right. Come on. Um, so that, that's one reason, but here's another reason. Here's another reason. Because we, you and me, God's people, man, we're sheep. You know what the Bible, you know, the Bible calls us sheep. Most of you know sheep are not the smartest animal. <laughs> so, I, like, I don't mean to insult you by calling you dumb. Let me just call myself dumb. How about that? I'm a sheep. So it takes me a long time to get it. And I'm stubborn in my heart. And my heart is hard. I'm a hard worker, slow learner, all right? And um, why, so why are we dealing with this like over five, six weeks? It's because sometimes it takes time for God's people to hear his voice. And sometimes it takes time for God's people to soften their heart. And sometimes it takes time for God's people to, to obey. And man, I knew, I knew when I start preaching through this, like we had already, we had already decided this is going to be our expanded giving. And we were excited about it, and we believed in it, and we, like, we, we, had, we had just blew up the budget and felt it, and, and we were excited about it. But I knew that the Lord was probably, as I began to preach through it, he was probably going to keep speaking to me about it. And I didn't know how, but I just had a sense of, we're not done here. Um, and so, uh, so let me tag in my wife and let her catch you up to speed on um, how has God been speaking to you about our time? Well, um, last year for Christmas, the only thing that I asked for from Freddie was money to build my own books, built-in bookshelves in our living room. So I wanted the money to do it and wanted to do it myself, not just buy the shelves, but build it and all that. So um, anyway, I've been saving this little amount of money that he gave me and um, and it felt like a lot to me. Well, let's just be clear. Okay. It's a. <laughs> it was every dollar in my wallet. He did give and me every some. dollar in his wallet. And yep. then some. Yep. yep. All right. But anyway, um, so that happened at Christmas. I got the money for the bookshelves, and um, you know, a couple of months have passed. We're on our way to Jack's baseball game a week ago Saturday. And Freddie says, are you still planning to build those bookshelves? Because I haven't touched them. And I said, yeah, I'm going to maybe this summer. That's a summer goal of mine. Um, I actually don't know that I have enough money to build the bookshelves, so I've got to save a little bit more, but that's my plan. And he had preached a funeral. The day before. The day before, so he had a little cash in his wallet. He pulled out 
hundred extra dollars and just said, here, put that in your fund. So now I've got a little more money to go toward my bookshelves. Um, so anyway, that was our conversation. I haven't really talked about the shelves. That was it on Saturday. That evening, um, most of our family was around the kitchen table, and we opened up our Bible and read through the scripture that he would be preaching on the next morning. And um, it talked about the hearts of the people uh, caring more about their homes than they care about rebuilding the temple. And so I think the Lord was stirring in my heart then. I just didn't know it. I just know he was kind of setting me up for what I would hear on Sunday morning. So that was that on Saturday. And then Sunday morning on my way into the service, Chuck Colwell stops me and says, Hey, I've been meaning to ask you about those bookshelves. Um, have you built them yet? Nope, but I'm, we just talked about it yesterday. So now the bookshelves have been brought up multiple times. Um, I didn't tell you to mention the bookshelves, did I? No. I didn't think no. no, he just knew I was probably excited about that little project and brought it up. So as I sat in the sermon that morning, and now I'm listening to Freddie T. preach, and I'm reading the scriptures along, I just feel this stirring of like, I know what we've set aside for our time and our budget, but that was something that we've decided to do together. But I just felt this impression on my heart of what it, the Lord was asking me to do something personally. And, and when we talk about, like, what can you give or your store, stored resources, we do not have stored resources. I mean, we don't have any... Thing to go pull extra money from to give, but this was a resource that I had, and it doesn't amount to a whole lot. I mean, it's not going to make a big dip in the building fund, right? But it was something for me that I felt like the Lord was saying, this is something you can give. It's a sacrifice you can make to the our time, um, to that plan or whatever. So, anyway, I thought about it a little bit. Sunday afternoon on our way to dinner, we're discussing the sermon. What did we think? What did I think about it? And as I'm sharing about just how the people were so focused on their house, and I could relate to that because I'd like to be pretty focused on my home and doing nice things for it. And um, Freddie just randomly asked, did you think about those bookshelves? And I said, oh. I did think about them. I'm not sure I was going to offer that. I don't, I don't know that I was. I don't know that I was suggesting the bookshelves. No, but you did. I was more like it. kind of bracing myself that, like, we just is like the text was your house and God's house, you know. And I just thought, I mean, like, you're smart, you know. Like, it just like that, and that. So I just had a sense, anyways. Well, however it came up, it came up. And the thing is, is I don't know that I would have like open my hands enough to give it if we hadn't continued having the conversation. It was just like this other stirring. So anyway, I said, I thought about the bookshelves. I don't know that the Lord is telling me to give that money yet, but I'm thinking about it. Fast forward to Monday morning, and I'm listening to a podcast that I listen to every single Monday morning, and the topic of the podcast that morning was how the people in Acts in the early church, how generous they were and how much they gave and they gave and out just couldn't out give each other. They were giving so much. 
And there was this quote that the lady on the podcast um, said by Andrew Murray that says, the world asks, what does a man own? Christ asks, how does one use it? And I got to thinking about those bookshelves again. And I thought about them all day long, all through work. I'm just thinking I've got to, I think I've, I've got to give up the bookshelves. So Monday night rolls around and Freddie's again, how was your day? Did you think about those bookshelves? And I said, I brought that up again. Yes, you did. But it's okay. The Lord used it. I said all day long. I thought about those. How's that extra car, church? You got that extra car? You got that? (laughs) Anyway. I'm just trying to, I don't know. I know. Well, so I went in my room, got the little Christmas bag that had the money in it. I came out and counted what there was to count and said, I've got to, like, this is what I can bring. That's a personal sacrifice to me. So So we're sitting in the living room and you're telling me how the Lord has spoken to you. And as you're telling me, then the Lord immediately begins to speak to me about the baseball cards. So I've been collecting baseball cards for a long, long time. And I thought it would be one of those things that I pass on to my kids and they don't seem to be very enthusiastic about the baseball cards and they're just kind of taking up space. And But they take up space in my heart. And I know it's silly to some of you, but I love those baseball cards. And um, I, remember, I remember the Christmas gift of the Jose Canseco rated rookie Donruss 1986 card that I got that my parents probably paid a lot more for than it's worth now. And so I immediately sensed that the Lord saying, you can sell these baseball cards and have an extra stored resource to give. And immediately I'm feeling the pain of that. And then Jack comes through our oldest son and he's like, you're not going to get very much money out of those baseball cards. And I'm like, thanks buddy. You know, and, um, and the reality is, is those cards are worth more to me than what I'll get from selling them. Um, and I was really struggling with this and, um, like in real time, just sitting there and, in, in, the, in the spirit of God just moves in my mind and, he's, and he says, you're not giving this to the church, you're giving this to Jesus. Yeah. And immediately my heart is set free. Because I think about the woman who had the expensive perfume that came and broke it and it spilt it on Jesus' feet. And she was criticized for wasting something that was so valuable to her. And, uh, and as soon as in my mind it shifted to you're not giving to the church, although, hello, the church is the bride of Christ and we ought to be super enthusiastic to give to the bride of Christ, but the Spirit said you're giving to Jesus. And I was like, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So we're in the living room and I'm saying, I think I can sell the baseball cards. And then you chime in again. Yep. So then I chimed in and said, well, for months I've been thinking about that bottom drawer in our dining room that's full of wedding gifts that we've not even taken out of a box. And it's been 18 years. So it's like crystal vases. It's the remnant of the wedding gifts. Yeah. So 15 years ago, God called us to serve in New York City. And we had the mother of all yard sales. And we sold, I'm sorry if you gave us one of them, we sold almost all our wedding gifts. But there was like a little tiny little remnant, a little stash of wedding gifts. and Yeah, that we still haven't used. And of course, my mind has been thinking, I could sell those and get something great for our house. That's where my mind has been for months, thinking about those gifts. Never even mentioned to him, because I kind of didn't think he'd want me to sell them. But 
Anyway, so... Not related to our time. You were thinking about no, a rug. I want a rug. I want yeah. new bedding. I don't know. Something. And anyway, so I said, I've been thinking about all those boxes down in the, or in the bottom drawer in the dining room. So we go into the dining room and start pulling out <laughs> boxes. I mean, it still has tags of the people who gave them to us inside those boxes. And so we're going to... I'm not sure what means we're going to sell them, but we're going to get rid of them. got a water for crystal, and I'm... And as she's pulling it out, I'm looking at it going, why don't we use this? This would be awesome. We could use this. And, and um, so I shared on the podcast this week. We record a podcast every week, and I was talking about our time. And so I shared this story that we just told you on the podcast this week. So then a couple days after the podcast, Mary, you texted me. Can you just tell us why did you text me? Well, um I do my devotions in the morning, and I finished, and I was still needing a little more God. So I thought, ah, I haven't done this since before Christmas, but I'm going to listen to Freddie T. and Jonathan Vinson's uh, podcast. So I got a pod bean and pull it up and start listening, and um, he's talking about um, stored resources, existing resources. And uh, that was something that had slipped through the cracks when I looked through our time uh, book. But anyway, um, he told the story that, he, that Susan and Freddie just uh, shared with us, and it stirred my heart. And <clears throat> I'm always so emotional, I'm this. sorry. <laughs> but it did. It stirred my heart, and I thought, well, okay, God, I'm going to start thinking I'm going to start praying, and I'm going to see what you're going to say to me. Well, backing up just a little bit to COVID occurred, and I had a condo in Sango and a little house at Lake Barkley. And I decided that it would be uh, wise for me to just have one house with not knowing what my future was going to hold over the next few years. So I condensed from two houses to one little one, and I had all those stacks that we deal with, like give away, throw away, and sell. And in my cell, I had three pieces of art that I had collected over the years and really didn't have a special place in this house for them. They didn't quite go with lake decor. So I consigned them to an art dealer in Nashville, and he sold one of them, and about a year after that, I thought, no, I'm going to bring those home and do something, try to sell them, whatever. But I just hung the larger one in my office, and I've enjoyed it. It's a great piece. It's come 30 years uh, through six houses with me and uh, brought me a lot of joy. But God said, there's a reason it didn't sell. And I think that's what your stored resource is going to be. So I thought, really? I've already hung it up. <laughs> but yes, um, I, I'm, it's yours, whatever, whatever. So um, I have committed um, in my heart and to you and to you most of all that I will be selling that. And uh, I know it'll go to a place that, it will bless whomever as it has me, and hopefully it'll be a little drop 
in a big bucket mm, so for good. our time. Come on, church, encourage these ladies. Don't you love that? So good. You guys can, you guys can have a seat. Wow. 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 Jeff Stansberry attends our church, and he's an auctioneer. We could just auction off the art. <laughs> Somebody could buy it, and then they could go and sell it, you know? And it's just like, exactly. yeah, I don't know. It's like, gosh, isn't God good? Gosh. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a mess right now. <laughs> when I start hearing my wife listen to the Spirit and obey, and I start hearing my friend Mary listen to the Spirit and obey, and so many of you listening to the Spirit and, and obeying, and um, I'm just kind of a mess with what God's doing. I love it. I just love it. It's like, Lord Jesus, you're worthy of it all. And um, so church, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you as you listen to the Lord, and as you give beyond what's comfortable, and as you give in a way that cost you something and that and you feel it. I'm I'm praying for you and I can't wait to see how the Lord blesses you with his presence and how the Lord stirs your heart as you obey. I just can't wait to hear the stories that God continues to write on our hearts and in our lives for for so much more than we can imagine. Tonight at four o'clock on the land, a group of leaders uh, who are ready to, to make their commitments. We'll be bringing their commitment cards and saying, Lord, we've heard you, and this is what we want to commit to our time. Um, I just want to invite anybody, if you've already prayed and you've got clarity on how the Lord is leading you, you can join us on the land tonight at four o'clock. Um, but, but a whole group of leaders in our church, why are we doing that? Well, because as we see in Haggai, leaders go first. I didn't tell you the story of how God's working in our life to say, oh, wow, look at what they're doing. Um, I just wanted you to know, as the leader of the church, we're, we're going first. And I just, it seemed important to, to share that with you. Um, and so if, you, if you'd like to join us on the land tonight, you, you can. Um, but on Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday is our official commitment Sunday. Um, and so we're asking everybody to hear from the Lord and to obey the Lord. And um, uh, the commitment card is a good way to express that. And uh, it's an important way because as we go to, to talk to banks for the building, um, they'll want to know what's the pledges of your church. So it's very practical what we're doing here. It's very practical, a very practical step for us to move forward. Um, but let me just share this video with you um, so that you uh, can kind of just see some examples of how to fill out the commitment card. Church, I love you. I love you. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.